welcome again to Gethsemane Sundays from Gethsemane Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Our presiding minister is Rev. Deborah Muter, music by Aaron Smith. The following service was pre-recorded for January 31st, 2021. Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded by his, at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, throwing him into convulsions and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, Jesus' fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. You can probably guess as uh, somebody who uses words a lot in my work, I enjoy words, I enjoy word puzzles. And I'm interested by the way we use words in our language day to day. And so I want to tell you about one word that we need to kick to the curb in our common usage, and it appears in the gospel properly today. Apparently, I'm not the only one that feels that way about this word, because when I went searching a little bit, it was called, among other things, the A word, and I'm not talking about a four-letter word because it, was, it has been so misused and overused. And what's that word? I'll tell you what. We, I'll use it in a sentence. We had dinner last night, and it was amazing. Little drama there, right? Strictly speaking, dinner is not amazing. Maybe once in a while. Once in a while, you'll go, and a dinner will astound you. It will uh, bring wonder to your life. It might even fill you with terror or alarm. I hope not, especially not for a meal, because that's what amazing means. You're amazed by something that's a really big deal. And if you use a word that means something is a really big deal all the time, it's not a really big deal anymore. Some of you remember when groovy was overused. Does anybody here remember that? A couple of people shaking their heads like, no, and some say, you don't want to admit, right? No, I don't remember it either, Eileen. My sister used to say it when I was little. Um, what about awesome? Yeah, right. We've overused that one too. So amazing is supposed to be something that is all of, these, all of these synonyms I've named, right? 
To, if something amazes you, it fills you with bewilderment. It makes you stop and pause and really think. So just like being used too much, just like other things that are used too much and there are more than we need of them, amazing is one of those, unfortunately. So let's use it in the right place and understand it well in this gospel reading. First of all, we have another A word that we don't overuse. Who knows? Maybe it's just a matter of time. Astounded, right? Jesus both astounded the people in this reading from Mark and amazed them. He was Jesus. If we could save astounded and amazing for things as on par with Jesus, we'll probably be using them just about the right amount. Jesus comes into Capernaum, it's the synagogue, and so what does he do? He goes into the synagogue, and I don't know how he swings it. I guess because he's Jesus, but he steps up and does the teaching, right? Their system was different than ours. Imagine on a Sunday morning, on a normal Sunday morning, or Saturday night, if you're a Saturday nighter, you come into church and someone comes in from comes in from out of town or from, you know, a little bit out of the area and just steps up and starts doing the teaching instead of the pastor. That would, that would amaze us. Sorry, I couldn't help it. It might surprise us, but it wouldn't amaze us. Maybe it would. So Jesus comes in the synagogue and he begins to teach. And right away, I mean, two verses, and Mark, you know, Mark is like, get on with it. He doesn't waste any time. He gets right to work. Jesus comes in the Sabbath. He's, he teaches. People were astounded at his teaching for another A word because he had authority. Now, authority also has gotten a bad rap, right? John Cougar, oops, he's not Joe Cougar anymore, sorry. John Mellicamp, what did he do? He fought authority and authority always won. That is John Cougar, isn't it? Somebody correct me if I'm not right. I fight authority, and authority always wins, right? Okay. And what about the, you used to have the bumper stickers, and this is going back a bit, that said, question authority. I got no problem with question authority, quite honestly. Kindly and respectfully, as we do all things, you can question. But ask yourself, is this right? When the people heard Jesus teach, they didn't have to ask themselves. They knew. The light bulb was on. If you have ever spoken to someone or heard someone teach or preach or even in a topic unrelated to church things, and they spoke with such clarity, maybe someone explaining, uh, a teacher explaining something to you in school, finally the light bulb goes on and you go, oh, now I know what you're talking about. This person really knows what they're talking about, then they can teach it well. Who knows it better than the one who made it all happen? Jesus. So in two sentences, we have him going in and teaching, astounding the people because he has authority. Unlike the scribes, the scribes knew the word inside and out, upside and down. They were the best teachers of all, but they didn't have the authority that Jesus had. And so people obviously were drawn to Jesus. Now, when we read this, that in itself, those, just those two verses could be a gospel reading right there. But like the people of Jesus' time, we want a little bit more. We want a little splash, a little bling, a little excitement. And so, unfortunately for them and for us, we get it. 
Well, maybe not, fortunately. It's okay. We get a miracle thrown in, right? The reason I say unfortunately is because you'll you'll see as you read in Mark and and the other Gospels, but especially in Mark, that Mark, the, the Gospel writer, goes to a great length to discourage us as readers from drawing the conclusion that Jesus is basically a magician who does these wonderful acts. Miracles, we call them. Now, we all know Jesus isn't a magician. We know that's not the idea. But if that's all you were reading for, you might get drawn into that. And people were drawn in easily to the idea that, wow, let's go see what Jesus can do for two reasons. Same two reasons we would. I might get some benefit from it, right? I might have a relative who's sick, injured, possessed with a demon. Maybe if I bring him or her to Jesus, he'll heal this one too. So I might get something out of it. And the other one is, come on, gosh darn it, we know it's interesting. Wouldn't it have been interesting to be there when he fed 5,000 people and that little lunch of bread and fish got passed around and 5,000 men and all the women and children too got fed? That's interesting stuff. What about the wedding at Cana? Water poured into jars, same jars when it gets poured out, is the most delicious wine anyone has ever tasted because Jesus is there making it happen. We like that stuff. We also like it, so those are my two reasons, but we also like it, it's all, I guess the, in the second one, the interesting part is that it's interesting because it's different and it's interesting because it's powerful. We all want to be a part of something that's big and that's powerful. And as Christian people every day, we truly are. Maybe not in the ways we would imagine, but we are anytime. We are reaching out and being a part of God's work. In Mark, when you have a, gospel, when you have a reading that has a miracle, you always want to look more closely and don't ever just stay on the miracle. So remind me of that as we go through the year of Mark. If I focus only on a miracle, you can prod me and remind me to ask in all caps as I did here so I wouldn't miss it, what's the meaning behind the miracle? Think about it. Jesus healed a man. Uh, uh, let's see. There's a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit and he's crying out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? So he's speaking, he's not the royal we. This is, these are the demons that have possessed him inside. I'm not really interested at this point in talking about, is this mental illness? Is this um, a seizure of some sort? That is not the point of the story. Jesus can heal any and all, and does heal any and all of that, in the ways that he works. But when this, when this demon possession, uh, when Jesus goes to tell him to be silent and come out of him, throws the man on the floor and he's convulsing, crying out in a loud voice, this is an amazing miracle. Oops. There's that word, but that's how we use it. The people were amazed. They did not expect this to happen. They didn't expect any of this to happen. Jesus teaching with authority, and then this unclean spirit raising up through this man, and then Jesus casting that demon out. And so this is where we stop and say, what is the meaning behind the miracle? Well, first of all, what I wanted to say is that if Jesus healed this man 2,020-some years ago, however long it was, that's done a long time ago. 
And it was very important to him and to his family, I'm sure. But there isn't a lot left for us to work with. But when we have the teaching of Jesus, along with the power of that miracle and the authority that Jesus held, we have something that goes beyond 2,000 years to us that we share even on to the next generations. That there is more in the message. There's two important questions, and I'm always asking you to ask an important question when you read the Bible. Most important question, I don't have everybody here, but ones that I know will answer for sure. Anybody know? What's the most important question we're asking ourselves? In the, think of the, the questions the journalist asks. Who, what, where, when, why? Anybody want to take a chance? Eileen? Yeah, she wants to take a chance. Who? Who? Now here's the easy answer. God. We can all go home, right? Done. When you start with the creation, it's not why or how. Why is a little interesting. It's not how. It's not all those details. It's who did all this? Who made this beautiful world for us? God. And go through the, New, the Old Testament and into the New Testament and ask, why did this happen? You can ask the whys and all hows and all those things, but ultimately, every one of the questions should take us to who. Who did all this for us? God. And so as we ask questions about miracles, first we ask who, and of course the answer is Jesus, God himself. Who's doing it? And I like to add why onto this one. Why would Jesus heal that man of his demons? I'm tempted to ask along with it, why didn't he heal everyone who ever had a demon and everyone who's yet to come with the demon? That's a question for God when you get to, the, as they say, the pearly gates. I don't have an answer in another myself on that. But we do know that by healing that man, Jesus, love, God's love and grace and compassion was shown to him, to the people around him, and the message was carried from there. People aren't always as interested in the teaching, but when it comes along with the authority that that healing, that miracle showed, then they're a little more interested. Now, if we had hymnals in the pews, I'd ask you to open up your hymnal and look at something with me, but I'm just going to have you use your memory and most of you have been around Lutheran churches long enough that you know this, and if not, you can look at it on your own. Sometime look at the baptismal service, and if you do not have a green hymnal, an LBW, of your own at home, you let me know because we have extra ones, and we'll share them with you. It's a great resource to have at home and be able to open up. In the baptismal service, I get to, at one point, we're over here, usually by the baptismal font, of course, we are always, and just before, let's see, um, as we're, um, I get to ask in the service right before we're going to say the creed. Just before that, before we say what we believe in, the creed is what we believe in. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we break it up in three parts. But before we go to that, what do we do? I go back and I ask you, the people up here, and really the whole congregation to some extent, do you renounce the forces of evil, the devil, and all his empty promises? Do you know what renounce means? That's the important part. You would say yes if you knew what renounce means. Do you want the devil to stay the devil away from you? Do you want the devil to get out and stay out? 
Do you want to be influenced by God instead of by Satan? Do you want to be influenced by good instead of evil? Yes, of course. It has a simple little answer. Yes, I do. It needs to have an exclamation point behind it. And I do like to tell people when I meet with them before a baptism, whether it's for a child or an adult, you know, when you mess with the devil, he doesn't like it. We don't talk about the devil a lot in the Lutheran church, but evil is real. And you want to call it devil, evil, however you're going to label or explain it, I don't care. It's real. And when you push, the devil pushes back. So you got to watch out. But you and I at baptism and ongoing in our Christian lives go forward with one behind us so much bigger and stronger and with more authority than the devil. Jesus, who comes right along beside and with us. And so in that baptismal liturgy, do you promise, do you renounce all this? Yes. We can renounce, we can push him away, but you and I can't get rid of him completely. That's Jesus' job. He has done and is doing that all the time. Aaron was practicing before the service, and I should have looked because I didn't know, but this already came to my head. And forgive me for pulling a note out of the air, but see how he sends the powers of evil reeling in my own key, right? <laughs> he brings us freedom, light, and life, and healing. Right? All men and women who by guilt are driven now are forgiven. It's right there in the bulletin. You can read the words. I don't know why. I, I think just in the last several months, in the midst of pandemic, the words of hymns have been so much more meaningful to me, have been so important to me. He sends the powers of evil reeling, reeling. Can't you see kind of head over heels, demons, whatever they look like? We've only known what artists think they look like doing headstands and handstands backwards away from Jesus because he sends the powers of evil reeling. We've seen, maybe I've seen too many movies where the power comes out of the hand of the hopefully the good person. But it gives me an image. And it's not a bad one. Because evil comes at me and you Every single day. Now, it doesn't always come at us like this. Sometimes it starts somewhere in here. But when we call on the backup, the authority, the astounding, amazing authority of Jesus to come along behind and with us, he sends the powers of evil reeling. When we remember that at that font, or wherever, whatever font you were at when you were baptized, the sign of the cross was marked on our foreheads forever. There is no expiration date on the promise that God has given you to protect you and care for you and to send the powers of evil reeling away from you, whatever they are. And there are times when it feels like they're right up on you. But we hold on to Jesus, this one who at Capernaum and who throughout his ministry taught and healed, and fed, and cared for people, all the way because we can't do it ourselves to the cross, where he gave up all that authority and power to die the death of a criminal, and then 
to be astoundingly, amazingly, with great authority, raised from the dead by God himself on Easter and promised that we get to be a part of that. That's huge. That's amazing. I hope that when you hear that word, you won't be as fussy as I am, but you will think, yeah, maybe your latte wasn't that amazing, but Jesus is. Amen. has been a Wayne Shout production. Wayne Shout.